Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Roth, but my friends call me the Booby Docs, my popular social media account where I talk about breast cancer and breast health in an educational and fun way. I'm a board-certified radiologist who specializes in breast imaging and image-guided procedures. I'm also a 40-something Ashkenazi Jewish woman with a strong family history of breast cancer and BRCA, so I know a thing or two about breast cancer. And this is my podcast, The Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond. If you or someone you love has been affected by breast cancer, this podcast is for you. Each episode, I sit down with top breast cancer experts, thrivers, providers, and those that love them to bring you the breast information. So get ready to learn, laugh, and let's be breasties. This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please refer to your doctor with any symptoms or concerns you may be having. Thank you and enjoy the show. So I am so excited to welcome Megan Murphy to the podcast. She is editor-in-chief of Women's Day Magazine, a home hack guru, frequently featured on all of our favorite talk shows. She is author of Your Fully Charged Life, a radically simple approach to having endless energy and filling every day with yay. She is also a cancer advocate carrying the check to mutation, which we're obviously going to talk about. So Megan Murphy, welcome to the Booby Docs podcast. Oh my gosh, I can't get over your wallpaper. It's epic. <laughs> Isn't it great? I love it. I've got books. You've got boobies. <laughs> I love that. You know, this my friend was it's a piece of foam cardboard that has wallpaper on it, which I thought was so creative. Really, really cool. Love Thank it. you. Um Welcome, fellow Jersey girl. I know. Jersey! Like, I like usually fist pump, beat my chest, all the things when it comes to Jersey. <laughs> so I'm a, I live in South Jersey, even though I am from South Florida, but I have been adopted by the state of New Jersey and I love I it. I mean, we're very friendly. <laughs> yeah, we are. So I am fascinated by you because a lot of people don't know this, but I originally went to University of Florida to pursue journalism I was entertaining editor of my high school newspaper and dreamed of being an editor of a women's health magazine, which is what you do now. How did you get here? Tell me about your career. You know, I have like a very like windy, confusing career direct trajectory. That's a hard mm-hmm. one to say. Um, <laughs> when I was in high school and I was a senior in high school, I wrote an essay on overcoming adversity and wound up getting a little bit of national attention and press. We were you know, I was highlighted on an NBC special with Don Johnson and Bob Costas. And it was like Oprah kind of celebrated our, these teens who had written essays about overcoming adversity. And I was the New Jersey scholar. Wow. There like newspapers and YM magazine kept approaching me like, Oh, we want to tell your story. We want to tell your story. And I was like, well, I'm going to write it. And so Uh before I knew it, I was an intern at YM magazine I was so precocious that that quickly turned into a contributing editor job. And from there, the sky was the limit. So I was going to college and moving through the ranks of magazines. I was one of the founding editors of Teen People and then went on to do Cosmo and Self Magazine and Good Housekeeping and now Women's Day. That's like literally every magazine I've ever (laughs) subscribed to, I think. I love that. Yeah, no, I've been a magazine girl since I was 18 years old. I love that. And did you get to like read all the wide me submissions at YM? I mean, I did a call. I did real girl love advice and Uh I did a healthy body image column. Oh, that's important. Yeah, it was really fun. It was and it was kind of groundbreaking for the time because it was like 1996. Wow. Um, Yeah. So it was like pretty cool. 
In the 1900s, right? Yeah, basically in the 1900s. <laughs> right. I was a magazine girly back then too. So this happens kind of essay winning turned into a whole career. Yeah. And I think this is what I always sort of tell people. It's I made my mess my message. So I had a very tumultuous teen years. I suffered from an eating disorder. I lost my best friend. Um, and I was really in a dark place. Mm-hmm. And as I began to come out of it and as I was in hospitalized and inpatient treatments and did a lot of therapy and and Uh self-work, I shared that journey. And in sharing that journey and making my mess, my message, it really enabled me to connect with incredible people and opened all of these career doors that I never thought would have been possible. I love that. Make your mess your message. Um, Did you write I mean, that? I think, I, think it's, I, you know, I think it's a lot of people in this space of having triumphed over tragedy kind of realize. And it's, it's advice I give to people all the time because we don't always yeah. want to share our pain points or share okay. the hurt or share what we're going through. But the only way to really find mentors in the hard is by opening up and connecting. I have a friend whose mom is, is going through lung cancer. And she's like, I don't want to tell anyone. I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, how are you going to find the best treatment plan? How are you going to find the right doctors? How are you going to find, how are you going to learn from other people's experiences if you aren't willing to be vulnerable? And I've seen that firsthand. The more vulnerable I am, the more I connect in these amazing, magical, karmic ways that lead me to the next and the next and the next and the next. I 100% believe that. I, even with the booby docs, uh, the more I've let my guard down and talked about mental health and my struggle, you know, struggles that a lot of people face that we don't talk about, uh, the more I get to connect with my audience. And I, I totally um, support everyone that's going through a hard time to document that when you're ready. And sometimes you can't document it until you're through it. Yeah. But, but struggle is a great equalizer. A hundred percent. Everyone, everyone struggles, even everyone struggles. Everyone's right. heart is different. And I don't, I don't advocate playing the hardship Olympics. Mm-hmm. Everybody's heart is different and everybody's heart is hard. So you went from an eating disorder um, to becoming a trainer and being so positive. And tell me about how that happened. Sure. So, you know, when I was a teenager, I, you know, I have really big, giant emotions. Mm-hmm. And in order to control those emotions and process and manage those emotions, I starved myself. I really, under, I understand that now. It was to quiet the, these big, scary emotions that I couldn't handle. I mean, I'm a, I'm a real clairsentient kind of feeling kind of person. Mm-hmm. And to quiet that, I went numb by starving myself. Mm-hmm. I know that now. I can look back at that now with hindsight, you know, 30 years later. Wow, that's mm-hmm. what I was doing. I just couldn't manage myself. And so I quieted everything with this starvation. It took me years and years of self-work, therapy, inpatient, outpatient, all of the things. And I, and I laugh about this because it was really when I was a senior editor at Cosmopolitan magazine, and I was assigned this story called The Seven Secrets of Happiness, that I really had a so-called breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Uh, My editor said to me, okay, we need this cover line. The cover line is The Seven Secrets of Happiness. Go figure out what the story is. And in doing my research, I stumbled upon Dr. Martin Seligman and the the Perma Theory of Wellness, and really for the first time understood that there was an opportunity to live differently. There was an opportunity to do happy, and that like 
instead of it being this passive state of being, it was this very active state of doing. And if I made different choices and took different actions every day to fill these buckets in the PERMA theory of wellness, P is for positive emotions, E is for engagement, R is for relationships, M is for meaning, and A is for accomplishments. If I learn to fill those buckets and I learn to do happy every day, I could live differently and I wouldn't struggle so much. And so I began to make changes and began to live differently and it felt really good. That's incredible. I know in your book, you talk about that small behavior changes make a big difference. What's the biggest small change that we can make to make the biggest impact in our life? So I think everybody's big, small change is different. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, the la- my last ed letter of the magazine from the last issue was big little changes. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> Everybody's big little changes are different, right? Like what, uh-huh. what changes me might not change you. But right. I think the key is, is your fully charged life is absolutely just a happiness toolkit. And you're going to have different tools in your toolkit that work at different times and in different ways for different people. And those, mm-hmm. those micro actions, those tools can be very, very tiny, right? Like it could be as silly as starting with making your bed. And Mm -hmm. exercising that small amount of control and accomplishment, right, right in the morning, right? Like I'm going to have this small sense of accomplishment before I even start my day. Right. Maybe that's just your game changer. And that propels you a day of success, right? I buy myself flowers every Monday. That's something I I do for myself because I, I love the mood magic, the scientifically proven mood magic of flowers. That's a big little change. Mm-hmm. I'm picking the flowers. I might be buying my Trader Joe's, but every Monday I fill my world with flowers. And guess what? That. that is mood freaking magic. Maybe it's that you start to move your body in a different way. Maybe you adopt a walking habit, right? Uh-huh. And that's your game changer. It's about finding something that sets you on the path to better and understanding that. that you're not broken and nobody's going to fix you. And you don't need this massive overhaul that comes with like a 10 step process program overhaul because you're already okay tomorrow could be more awesome and one of these strategies can absolutely help you to get to awesome but you're already okay I think that's such good advice because I think sometimes when you're trying to make a change it can seem so overwhelming that you just Mm -hmm. can't start like you have paralysis it's it's I I often find that like I want to lose 20 pounds right I want (laughs) to stop drinking or I want to get organized like whoa that's really daunting Right. And, and I always say, like, that shouldn't be the goal. That's way too big. Right. What's one thing you could do today? One tiny little thing that's going to set you on a better path. Uh-huh. I love the home edit. And they talk about something called the, the, the gold star moments. Like, even if it's something very small, like I got my kids to the bus on time. That's right. a gold star moment. Right. Yep. Celebrating yep. the small win. Yep. Um, tell me how you wrote the book. I finished the book March, April 2020. It, whatever the beginning of the pandemic was, it's all a blur now. Oh, like, so right at the beginning of the pandemic. Right at the beginning of the pandemic. So like I was the executive editor of Good Housekeeping, was asked to take over as editor-in-chief of Women's Day on like a Friday and the world shut down on Monday. And my wow. book was due four months later. So four weeks later. So I'm like uh-huh. trying to figure out how to overhaul a magazine, finish a book and then homeschool three kids. So it was like, I definitely like look back and laugh like mm-hmm. how did that happen how did I do that yeah the whole book writing process it was like a three-year process from I need to do this I need to get my toolkit on paper to finding an agent to writing spending a year writing a very detailed proposal and treatment and marketing plan to going to auction shopping it to big publishers getting some offers signing with Penguin Random House 
and then writing it for a year and a half and then getting it to press. It's a big undertaking. I've been wanting to write a book. I'm in the process, very early stages of writing a book. And it's, it, it, again, it starts, feels overwhelming. When you talk about small little things, yeah. it's like, maybe if I could write a paragraph today, that's an achievement. Well, and I think like, I mean, the, anyone who's trying to take undertake a writing, it is absolutely about carving out a very specific amount of time every yeah. day. Like, right building it into your life. I mean, I do it in a habit stacking way. Like, okay, I'm going to do my workout. I'm always going to do my workout. Can I add 30 minutes to writing of writing mm-hmm. after that? Cause I'm already trying to do book two and I'm very stalled because I have so many other projects, but like, I need to build that writing back in. Right. Habit stacking. I like that. I've had three kids in like, you know, six years and I feel yeah. like I need to incorporate exercise back into my life. Like I used to love I, that. Know, I like, I read Atomic Habits. I like Atomic Habits. Um, I'm somebody yeah. who is, I don't struggle with ha- good habit formation. I'm very disciplined in that way. But mm-hmm. I really do like this concept of like, take something you already do, you already do with ease and add something you want to do to it. So like, okay, I brush my teeth. Could I add some you know, calf raises in the bathroom to this thing, I already know I'm going to do at least twice a day, right? Like I'm building it into something, you know, you do easily. I like that. I should read Atomic Habits. I'm writing that down in my yeah, to-do list. Yeah. All right. So the thing that obviously drew me to you was that you are very open about your family's cancer yeah. history. Tell me about that. So I lost my father to pancreatic cancer. That's a, that's a nasty cancer. Um, and I think he, my mom had my, so my mom had breast cancer um, and then she had breast cancer again and mm-hmm. we got through that. And then my okay. dad had pancreatic cancer and that was fast and furious stage four and gone. Awful, uh, awful, awful. Yeah. And I had dense breasts and I was constantly Okay, come back for your mammogram, sonogram. Okay, now an MRI. Okay, now we need mm-hmm. a biopsy. And because I had seen my mom beat breast cancer twice and it paled in comparison in my brain to what pancreatic cancer, I mean, pancreatic cancer is the nastiest, yeah, most brutal cancer there is. It just is. And so I just kept poo-pooing my struggle because I was like, oh no, I can beat that. I'm not, it's not mm-hmm. gonna kill me in four months. And my doctor finally said to me, he's like, we need to do some genetic testing because we can't just keep biopsying, MRIing. Yeah. And like you thinking this is no big deal because it's not pancreatic cancer. Like I can't, right. keep you, I can't let you keep doing this. Uh-huh. And I had just had such PTSD from my father that yeah. like, I didn't want to hear it. Right. Like mm-hmm. I was just not having it. And when we did, when we did the um, genetic testing, it came back, oh, you have a check two mutation. And I was like, oh, good. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. And I ignored it for two years until I was sitting on a soccer sideline with with a mother who had just had a preventative double mastectomy and had exactly what I had checked to mutation. Mother had had breast cancer twice, had had a lot of scares and biopsies. And and when she was saying to me, oh, I just had this blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. I have that. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh-huh. my mom, too. Oh, oh yeah, wow. yeah, I had that bio. Oh, yeah. And it was like, huh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Maybe I should take this more seriously. Right. And it was finally my gynecologist who was like, I want you to meet with your breast surgeon. Like, I want you to have that conversation because this is real. Like, your risk is real. Um, And when I talked to my breast surgeon, she was like, yeah, here's what we can do. Like, let's let's just do this. And so then my husband and I met with the genetic counselor. And I, 
my risk was so high that my husband in that my husband just looked at me and goes, no, we're going to do this. Like, this is not a question. He lost his dad to kidney cancer. Um, We now have my, my, I mean, another relative that I I shouldn't disclose is suffering from eye cancer. Like we are a family who handles a lot of cancer. And so my husband looked at me, he mean, he lost his dad to kidney cancer when he was 20 years old. His mom had breast cancer too. Was like, we're like, we're just going to do this. Right. And so, so I just said, okay, we're going to do this. So when was your double mastectomy? And so what was that like? It was, so, this was the irony. So like it was scheduled for September uh-huh. and, and then it got pushed to October. And so if you know me, oh. my magazine is Destination Celebration. Uh-huh. Like, I lean into national days and holidays. Uh-huh. So like, to me, it just felt so ironic that like, no, no, no. Breast cancer awareness. Your double mastectomy and breast cancer awareness. But of course right. that's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, and sure enough, October 4th, I had a double mastectomy with reconstruction on the spot, um, which did I was super tra- grateful for. Did you get tram reconstruction, if you don't yeah, mind? No. So my mom had, so when my mom had breast cancer, she had her stomach placed in her breasts. The flap reconstruction. Yes. Yeah. I uh-huh. didn't have enough um, abdominal fat. Abdominal fat to do that. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like a very small human being like I uh-huh. had double A's and I had three kids and so I had like dehydrated double A's <laughs> um so deflated like balloons right? yeah, we just deflated double A's yeah. right? right um and the goal for me was really like they so they cut under my breasts lifted everything up took out the tissue and the goal for me was to not have expanders and to not have to have another procedure uh-huh. and I woke so up asking, like, did you get it all done? Right. Um, so I got the smallest implant possible. Uh-huh. Um, and so for me, I was like, not somebody who ever thought about breasts or thought about having breasts. Right. And ultimately, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have these perky little boobs. And I'm uh-huh. like, I, I actually like them. And I'm like, shocked by it. Uh-huh. Um, but but they're just, they're, they're I, just breasts. They're just breasts. Right, exactly. Um, and it, I'm very glad I went that route because, frankly, it, I was really surprised by how hard it was to see the drains and the scars on your own body. Like mm-hmm. I had had clint trained when my mom had her second um, bout with breast cancer and had her double mastectomy. I cleaned her drains. I helped with her band, like wounds and bandages. Like I was in there, and uh-huh. it didn't phase me in the least. When it was on my own body. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. So it was really hard for me. Yeah, I don't know why. I just was like, really, I looked in the mirror and cried, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" So I, I think feel, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, you're so used to being healthy, like to be to see yourself like that. It's hard, right? It's an adjustment period. And it, that was something that it was very unexpected for me because, like, I never really assigned any meaning to my breasts. If I'm being mm-hmm. honest, like, right. I was never somebody who was like, "Oh, I'm so voluptuous," or like, right. like I, just I just didn't care. I just uh-huh. didn't ever care about my breasts. Right. Um, I'm grateful that I decided to have reconstruction because knowing how much the wounds impacted me, I think it would have been hard for me to look in the mirror and see that reminder. Like I don't yeah. need to be reminded of what I went through. Right. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to be reminded of my risk or what my mom went through or what my sister right. might go through. Like I'm happy that I look pretty damn normal now. Right. 
And you lower your cancer risk by and almost, I'm, you know, yeah. by over 90%, right? Exactly. Exactly. I absolutely ignored it for two years. I was right. like, oh, phew, I don't have BRCA. Who cares? Right. Exactly. I mean, right. If I so had been sitting next to this mom on the soccer field, I absolutely never would have put any weight in it. It was totally meant to be there, right? Yeah. So check two increases your risk of breast, ovarian, prostate, colon cancer, kidney cancer, thyroid, brain tumors, osteosarcoma. From what I've read, it's not like you're guaranteed to get a cancer. It's not as high a risk as the others, but there's just a lot more cancers you might be at risk for. And I also think because of my specific family history, we've had so much cancer. I have a nodule on my thyroid. I've had like nine polyps in my colon. Like for whatever reason, my 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 DNA, like we're just a family, unfortunately. Right. And a lot of it is familial, right? Like uh, cancers. I actually point this out because the NCCN or the National Cancer Institute, Comprehensive Cancer Institute, they actually, there's not enough evidence to show that risk-reducting mastectomy benefits women with check two mutations. They recommend considering basing your family history of breast cancer and the gen- genetic mutation. So in your case, the combination is you know what what probably led you to the double absolutely and also like I was being because my breasts were so dense yes and I was every single like it would be every three months or every six months that I spend the weekend going all right let's see what we have to deal with right so as a radiologist like you have something called busy breasts there's a lot of background activity you have dense tissue it makes it really hard to read on top of the fact that you already have strong family history of breast cancer and a genetic mutation so it's you know the 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 stakes are high right and a young woman we want to catch this so it ends up you end up having false positive biopsies right like biopsies that are not cancer but you can't tell and that's that's the problem with you know surveillance you know and i think like for me, I really felt like I was in a moment where I was had a stable job, where I was able to take medical leave. I was able to have insurance fully cover it. Yeah, I was strong enough to to recover in a yeah. like you know I I felt like you know I've seen radiation, chemo, all of the things. I'm like, okay, yes, if I get this down the line, I'm gonna be a I'm going to fight it and I'm going to, but like, I'm in a really strong position now to right. wake up from that surgery and not be like, did you get it all? What are my right. margins? Like, and to live in that constant fear and panic. I totally. have been so traumatized by cancer in my life. Yeah. Like, traumatized. Like I, you know, to the point where my sister and I'll be like, wow, we've had a calm three months. Is someone about yeah. to get a cancer diagnosis? Like it's right we, we really have, we've just gotten beaten up. We've gotten right. beaten up by cancer. Well, I think it emphasizes, you know, uh, knowledge is power, right? Like knowing you have a genetic mutation means that you could do things to either lower your risk of, of developing cancer, like preventative surgeries, um, uh, early surveillance or more surveillance uh, would be another thing, or there's a, you could do medications that help lower your risk and also lifestyle modifications. But knowing that information is important because you want to do everything you can whenever possible to lower your risk of cancer. And obviously having a preventive uh, mastectomy is the most, you know, the largest risk reduction you could do for developing yeah. breast cancer. Um, and my sister has the same genetics, she has not had any um, false, like she hasn't had to have yeah. any of the biopsies. That's so good. Right now she has decided to just keep monitoring. She yeah. just had a skin cancer scare 
um, and we're dealing with some other cancer in the family now. And I'm like, is that changing things for you? Like, right. Yeah. Right. It's so you, with these checks to mutations, you also have to be up to date in all your cancer screenings. Right. And mm-hmm. being maybe even starting a little earlier. Yes. Right? Have you yes. had colonoscopy and all that? Yeah. A zillion because I had I've had nine polyps. Oh, right. Um, and my grandmother had colon cancer. So uh, yeah, we're just yeah. like, we're just not that. We're yeah. just not lucky in that, uh, in that space. Well, this is where you take, you take over your story, right? Like, yeah. And I, and like, and that's really empowering, but I, but I also, t- I like, I also laugh about this. A story mm-hmm. I, I've told to some friends is like, I obviously decided to have this surgery to take charge or to be in control of my health. Yeah. And I, I laugh because the night I got home from the hospital, I'm like sitting in my chair. I had this awesome rental chair and my daughter sends me a picture from her bedroom. And she's like, mm-hmm. mom, there's bugs in my hair. And it turns out my daughter had lice and had combed oh. my hair into a top knot because when you come home from double mastectomy, you can't use your arms, you can't shower. Oh. And so my first night home from the hospital, it's like, I have lice. My daughter has lice. My oh sons my. have lice. And my mom who's staying with us has lice. The only one who didn't have lice was my husband who was bald. And oh it was this God. like beautiful, beautiful moment of we're never in charge. The only thing we can actually control is our reaction. And now we get to laugh at life, lice <laughs> because this is surreal. And I mean, I couldn't shower for two weeks. We had a lice lady come and she put like, oh. olive oil in my hair and combed out the nits. And then I had like a bag on my head and I'm like walking like a T-Rex, four drains on me. And I'm like, oh. this is, it just felt so poetic of like, That's- we just aren't in charge. Oh, it's in case you were wondering, God's letting just you know. Just in case. Just got in case. This. We you, always you joke, can- we- We've had things like that in our family. And I joke, it's like the 10 plagues. It's like, what's going to, lice, blood, boil. Okay. All right, bring it, bring it. Um, Was your father ever genetically tested for any mutations? No. No. Nope. Yeah. And to be honest, my mom has never been tested either because she doesn't believe in it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There's always some of this. That's okay. As long as Which is funny though, because as little as my mom believes in that, when I told her my decision, she's like, get him off, get him off. <laughs> because her first bout with breast cancer, she had a lumpectomy. Uh-huh. And when she had to cut, when it came back. Yeah. She was, like, oh. she was so pissed. Yeah. Like so, so pissed that she had to go through that again. And she was like, get him off. Yeah. Get him <laughs> off. Get him did, off. She do, did she do both at that time? She did, she, the second time, like the second uh, round, yeah. she got everything off. Yeah. Because she no, had, a, one of her best friends had breast cancer, had a single mastectomy, and then it came back. And now is getting the other breast. And my mom's like, see, see, just get them off. Everybody get them off. From my mouth to God's ears, if I ever develop breast cancer, I'm getting a double mastectomy because I just know what it's like to have to go through the, the anxiety is real. Like, you know, these, it's a, it's a lot. And, it's and a the lot fear is there. Yeah. Not to be honest, like it really impacted my mom. I feel like cause she, cause like you think you're done, right? It's yeah. hearing that you have cancer is like one of the worst things you could hear in the world. And then to like attack it, to tackle it, to get through it and then be like, just kidding. Right. Really is hard. Yeah. It's really hard. You. Yeah. Really hard. Right. Whatever resilience you had, it's like you lose. You're like, yeah. this is, Yeah. Um, 
after your, you lost your father to pancreatic cancer, you started posting something called hashtag Operation Good Grief to document one thing a day that didn't stink. I love that. And I heard you do this for about two years before you just, before you healed, yeah. started healing. Yeah. Tell me that. So I will say like, so as my father was, was dying, I had three small kids and it like, it just crushed my soul. Right. Like yeah. I couldn't get out of bed, like was just really struggling. And I had a big job managing a family. Like it was really, really hard. I've, I'm a happiness hacker. Like I knew that practicing gratitude and having an attitude of gratitude and pausing to appreciate what didn't stink right now would help heal me. But like the idea of writing a gratitude diary made me mad. Mm -hmm. Like, and it also felt like homework and I couldn't do it. So I sort of hacked and fun filtered this process for myself by actively looking for one thing that didn't stink every day. Like I gave myself this job every day you have to find one thing that doesn't stink and it would be small like it would be okay you know there's foam in this latte this cardinal landed in this tree mm-hmm. at exactly the right time you know like it was small but i would document it i would take a picture i would share it on social media and i would create it i created this community for myself and this accountability for myself around searching for the yay finding the yay in the day And it kind of morphed from Operation Good Grief and finding one thing that didn't stink to really reprogramming and to to more easily seeing the good in the world and pausing to appreciate the good in the world. Because I think when you're really in something hard, it can be so easy to be swallowed by it and to forget that there's still good out there. And like, I'm no Pollyanna. Like, this was a hard process, Mm -hmm. but it was an important process for me because it allowed me to sort of reprogram and retrain a bit and to understand that the more we can prioritize positivity, the more we can pause to appreciate the happier we will ultimately be. And so I started creating what I called the yay list. And this was essentially a fun filtered gratitude practice. I asked my kids, what made you say yay today? I Mm -hmm. keep a yay list. It's an Instagram account that is just you know, at the yay list is things that make me smile, like a cat smelling tulips, you know, uh, uh-huh. those kind of things really kind of harnessing the power of awe, pausing to appreciate, understanding that there's good, even when things feel really bad. Have you always been a positive person like this? Is no, no, no I, and I, oh, that's, I mean, I trained to live this way. You know, yeah. I, I, my nickname was Grumpy. I was Neggy Meggy. I, I really struggled. Wow. Yeah. How did, how did you change it with these small, like appreciating small things? It was, you know, I mean, I've done a ton of work on myself, but, but yeah. mostly leaning into these principles of the perma theory of wellness, understanding that, you know, positive emotions, things like having gratitude can help you thrive. Like, Engagement, understanding that when I care about something and I'm engaged in something, I'm going to thrive relationships, understanding that like how I treat people, how I interact with people, whether it's a cashier or my husband matters. And that fills my happiness bucket, understanding that I have to have meaning. There has to be things that matter to me and matter in my life and accomplishment. I need to feel like I'm good at something. I need to feel Mm -hmm. like I'm getting a good gold star or an A plus, even if I'm not in school. We all need these things. And when we can add more of these things into our life, we thrive, we flourish, 
we do happy. And that's, that's why I had to write my book. That's what my book right. is. And it was funny. I went to chemo with my dad one day and I started to get really bold. Like, okay, dad, like this isn't looking good. What do you want your legacy to be? Like, mm-hmm. how do you want to be remembered? And in those conversations and in that moment, I understood how I wanted to be remembered. And it's for somebody who transformed from Neggy Meggy and Grumpy to somebody who gets compared to a, a rainbow farting unicorn. Mm-hmm. You know, like it feels good that. to live this book. And I promised my dad I would write this book and I would share this toolkit. And I did. Oh, I love it. He's definitely so proud of you. Uh, I love yay for the day. I love all that. Um, you mentioned the cardinal and you talk yeah. about signs a lot. I, I am a firm believer in signs. Tell me some of the ways you connect with your dad. Oh, I get misty when I talk about him still oh. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can tell. Yeah. I miss him. Like he's with you. He's with you yeah. in a different way. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. Um, so we we had the gift. Um, my dad went to hospice and we got to surround him when he passed. And we asked him to come to us as cardinals. I've he always does. He always does. Um, I can be having a really bad day and be on a walk and say, dad, I need to see you right now. And I can promise a cardinal will land in the tree. Yeah. I can promise. Um, and it's been, it's like surreal and really, really beautiful. Like mm-hmm. anytime I'm doing something hard or in a really tough moment and I ask, I always get him. I love it. You, you, I remember you posting something about on the beach, finding something. Oh, yeah. So we, yeah. uh, that, that's a, uh, sea glass is really important to us too. It's one of the ways we honor his legacy. And it was one of the things he, he asked us to do to remember uh-huh. him and honor his legacy. When he's 11, he had 11 grandkids and they um, would walk on the beach and he would like hop, he actually, because sea glass is hard to come by now because of stupid recycling. I mean, not stupid recycling, but stupid recycling. <laughs> Um, so he would go to Michael's and get fake sea glass and he would put it in his pockets and then he would walk do these treasure hunts on the beach with the kids and he'd really be like throwing the sea glass uh-huh. medicals on the shore and they'd be finding all these treasures like amazing sea glass um, and so at his funeral we and he also used to also hide scratch off lottery tickets under uh-huh. our plates and chairs, and then you'd have to scratch it and go are you a winner or a wiener he just loves scratch off lottery <laughs> tickets at his funeral, we scratched off lottery tickets with sea glass from Mike. Like we had a big thing of sea glass, oh. and everybody took a, to a, a lottery ticket and scratch scratch it with sea glass. It was really beautiful, and that was like the the gift of a cancer diagnosis and a terminal cancer diagnosis is like I really did get to ask him like, how are we going to honor you? How are we going to yeah. remember you? Um, and so we got cool. to. So I go on vacations with my kids, and we sea glass hunt. And I would say one of my most favorite things to do in the entire world is to search the shores with my boys and my my daughter and there's just so much possibility and beauty in this search right Uh like I think that's what part of it is is honoring his memory and part of it is this like beautiful thing we do together we have big jars of sea glass in the kitchen window with our little cardinals sitting there Aww. and it's we, we've have like these crazy stories i'm sitting on my desk right now with some of my biggest treasures I and mean, you can't really see but oh, uh-huh, was, a little penguin 
is it a penguin from Penguin Random House, but like this was an M. We uh-huh. found a little M. This is all okay. these look like lightning bolts. Sea glass that looks like lightning uh-huh. bolts. Um, like we've just like the sea glass game just keeps leveling up and leveling up and leveling up. And I'm like, oh dad, you're planted some good stuff. Oh my God. I'm going on a beach vacation this Sunday and I'm going to have to look for sea glass. Oh yeah. Everybody does now. And they'll send me like my pee. Like, and it's one of these beautiful things that I've, I love that we've been able to share this. Yeah. This kind of thing we do with so many friends and family and Instagram followers who are like, look what I found. Look what I found. Like it's, I never heard of this. Oh my gosh. We're looking for sea glass now too. And I've had like, we, my boys and I were in Florida and we were like searching, searching, searching. And we weren't finding anything. And this old man was like, and he looked just like my dad. He had like this scruffy beard and this. Uh-huh. I was like, oh my God. He's like, he was, I couldn't look at him at first because he's like, you look like Pop. And he's like, what are you guys doing? And we were like searching for sea glass, but we're not finding anything. And he reaches in his pocket and he was like, I found this earlier today. It's for you. I was like, <laughs> it was like, it was like so beautiful. So beautiful. Awesome. I'm also somebody who is, I love Marianne DeMarco, Marianne the medium, and she just calls me Claire sentient. Like I, I feel things very deeply and very beautifully and connect uh-huh. with people in such incredible ways. Like that guy found, like I called yeah. him to us. I, I feel that too. I, I've been that way for a long time also. And I feel that like, I know that that's a thing, right? Like you yeah. could, on a, on a, he was meant to be there. He was meant to give you that yep. sea glass. Your dad placed him there for whatever reason. And that's just how the world works. Right? And it's so, it's, to be honest, it's like, it's really cool when you allow that. If once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And it's like the world is much more, a much bigger place and a it's much more connected place. It's really fun. It's a really it fun way to do life. I, like, yeah. I feel that from you. Do you ever find sea glass in the Jersey Shore? I mean, it's, it's harder. Yeah. It's really, it's like much harder, but we find it like yeah. we'll go out early in the morning and uh-huh. like, and like, sometimes that's fun too. Like it's, it's hard to find. So it's like really fun to find. Right. right. Yeah. It's that more special. Yeah. All right. I'm going to let you go. Cause I know you probably have a million and a half things to do, but I have a few little lightning round questions. Oh, sure. Like I love lightning. Well, first of all, has I love lightning. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> have you, has anyone ever told you you look like Chelsea Handler? Um, I get, I get a little Chelsea Handler. I get a little, like some people say I have a, um, Sedaris vibe, Amy Sedaris vibe. Uh-huh. And then Amy Poehler. Get, yeah. Amy Poehler. And then Kristen Bell. Oh yeah. All those combined. I yeah. love that for you. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, what are you currently binging? Well, I'm, we just finished Ted Lasso. So like, oh. I'm so bummed. Yeah. Cause like, I need a what's next, but like, I'm still not over the fact that it's the season's over and maybe the series is over. Cause yeah. like Ted Lasso is my spirit animal. Like uh-huh. <laughs> I love that. Show. I could see it. I have to watch the last season. I miss, I haven't caught up on that. It, it like, it ends with a, it ends on a high. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm on never have I ever, which I really like. Oh, I haven't done that, but people talk about it. That's a cute one. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite vacation you've ever taken? You travel a lot. You know, we really, really love the Cayman Islands. Mm -hmm. Like the sea glass hunting is amazing. The water is crystal clear. There's so many Uh adventures to go on, like Stingray City and like 
Starfish Beach and the caves. I mean, like, we're beach people. I've never Uh really done any kind of European vacation. Like, I've never been to London. I've never been to Paris. I've never been to Italy. Yeah, but I've been to, like, every beach on the planet. Like, (laughs) I'm a beach girl. I'm just such a beach girl. I I am, too. My husband is not, which we we, uh, disagree over that. I know. Wow. (laughs) But we try to fit it in. We are going on a cruise this week. So I'm excited about that. So we're going, we're leaving it in Brooklyn, okay. which is interesting. And we're taking it to, we're going to uh, Orlando, but we're going, we, we're big Disney people, but this time we're going to Kennedy Space Center. Oh. We're going to the Bahamas and we're going to their private island. Ooh. I know, but my kids are eight, five, and three, and they're like really good ages for the cruise. Yeah. Like my three-year-old's going to love it. He's never been. We're, we so. just went to the, my husband and I just went on to the Bahamas, just the two of us. Were you at Bahamar? Yes. I stayed there too with my husband. That's amazing. We had a great time. We had it's a really so great time. Yeah. It's awesome. It took a lot of prep to actually leave with, leave three kids behind, but yeah. it was worth it. You deserve that. You it was deserve great. That. Yeah. All right. And what do you do to relax? Do you ever relax? I mean, like I have a lot of things that I do to feel good. I don't know if, if I'm like that good at actually relaxing, um, <laughs> But I've become like a Forrest Gump. You know, I had to relearn my body after my double mastectomy. And I really sort of became this person who walks 10,000 steps a day, Uh non-negotiable. And I also go to Bar Method five days a week. So, like, I think my relaxing is really the combination of those activities. I've, like, learned to love walking. I love that. I crave Mm -hmm. it. I crave it, crave it, crave it. That's good. Well, I really have enjoyed talking to you. You are clearly a very positive and accomplished person and just such a role model. So thank you for thank speaking you. with me. Oh my gosh, I'm glad to be here. There's even there's, boobies on your phone. There's even boobies on my phone. I am thanks oh for noticing. God, that's amazing. They're everywhere. I know. I have this little guy too. Look how cute he is. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little obsessed. Um if you ever need anyone to write a breast health column to answer breast health questions, yeah, I would love, love to do that because I love connecting with people, with young women. Especially you know, I quit, I quit my podcast off the gram, but I feel like you'd be a good guest for them too. I would love that. Any, yeah. Anytime you, you can connect, yeah. I love it. Um, so, thank you for letting me talk about my dad too. Like some days it just feels good to like, cause I don't always, you know, I don't always get to do that. And then like, it just feels good sometimes. Thank you for sharing your story. I just feel so, I could feel how connected you are to him. And just even the mention of his name brings you to tears. So love that. Yay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this conversation or learned something new, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and help spread the word. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. And of course, make sure you follow me across all social media platforms at The Booby Docs for more of the breast information. And a huge thank you to my podcast producer, Christian Cuveta, an amazing medical student who also wrote and produced the music for the show. Take it away, Christian. Christian.